everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Uh, apparently, Will Smith thought Chris Rock was being too much of a hater last night. Because my man got up on the stage and decided to open hand slap the comedian at the Oscars. When was the last time you were that excited about something that happened at the Oscars, by the way? Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parsh III. Of course, I'm joined here. In the game studios by the producer extraordinaire, Raging Cajun softball reporter extraordinaire, bowler extraordinaire, allegedly. The one and only Hannah Five Names. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going in there? Um, I think it's going pretty good. <laughs> Did you, first off, Yes. did you even know the Oscars were going on last night? Before, before, that's the oddest question. Did you even realize the Oscars were happening before you saw social media be flooded with Will Smith slapping Chris Rock across his face? No, because everything's already been weird. Like, they haven't had the Grammys even yet, so, like, everything's all weird with the the award season. season, so mm-hmm. I don't even know what's going on right now. I saw it on TikTok, actually. It wasn't even, like, Facebook <laughs> that I saw it. It was on TikTok that someone posted that video. I was like, oh, that happened. Okay. It's just so, just, uh, just leave it to the Academy Awards. That's all I'm going to say. I used to watch <laughs> them all the time. I did. Watch them all the time. Back in my younger years when I was a film critic, so I would watch the Academy Awards. I enjoyed it. But I can't I can't tell you the last time I actually sat down and we watched it. My wife used to enjoy it too. We just we just don't. Like we could have watched it yesterday, last night. It was a strong possibility. Now, they started while I was still coming back from Lake Charles for the Lake Charles Championship. But we could have easily watched them. And no. No. Mm-mm. And I was checking on Twitter from time to time and getting some updates, and then all hell broke loose. Because, and and it was so weird because you go back and you watch the video of it, and he's actually laughing at Chris Rock's joke about Jada Pinkett Smith being bald. Like, he's actually laughing at it. And then all of a sudden, a switch goes off, and he walks up on the stage all casual, and you're thinking, Rock's like, well, what's going on here? He's like, oh, he's going to – and then he goes up there and slaps him and then starts 
sitting back down at his seat and spewing profanities at him about keep your keep my wife's name out your mouth. It's like what? What just happened? What just happened? Like Denzel Washington and Tyler Perry had to go talk to Will Smith. Will Smith got all emotional, was crying during a commercial break. And then he wins the Oscar for Best Actor for portraying Venus and Serena Williams' dad in King Richard. It's like, what? What's going on? What's going on? I mean, credit to Chris Rock for actually, because Will's got at least three inches on him and about 45 pounds. At least. His hand could probably cover Chris Rock's face. (laughs) If you just put his hand in front of his face, it probably could cover it. And Rock just stayed up there and just made, cracked a, a little bit of a one-liner and just went right along. Yeah. It did not make me want to tune into the Academy Awards. It didn't. Like, no. when that moment happened, I just stayed on Twitter. I didn't physically switch my television over to watch the rest of the Academy Awards. I just didn't. Yeah. It, it, it was it, like... It was the first video that I put them on my TikTok, but like I was already too busy with other things. Like to, yesterday was my father-in-law's birthday, so we were going to Buffalo Wild Wings and going bowling. So I didn't even like know about it till about nine forty-five, and I was doing my audio clips, and I was like, "Oh, that happened." I like, didn't even like. Hmm, cool. Just <laughs> that happened. Just like okay. I was and people just were going back and forth all over on social. Was it real? Was it staged? What's going on? That doesn't look staged. If if it was real, why did it wasn't Chris Rock on the ground? And then you know from being slapped that hard, and then you saw people's reactions in the audience, like Nicole Kidman and others. And that's even that's that's even more amusing than Will Smith actually getting on stage and slapping Chris Rock across his face. Just everyone else's reaction going, oh. Yeah, I, I don't know. Because they were talking about this morning, too. Like, literally on CBS, they're like, oh, let's talk about Will Smith. And I was like, he's like, why did he plant? Why did Chris Rock plant his feet before it happened? And I'm like, it didn't even pop up. Like, we all know that if you have Twitter, you now get notifications of random things. Yes. Like, I get ran, I get mostly, I get LSU baseball usually pops up because of a childhood friend. But, like, the Seattle Mariners popped up on my Twitter, but not even a thing about the Will Smith interaction. Did not it, it pop up on my Twitter. It was all my timeline. Oh, I even, op- we- I even opened it. Like, because it didn't, it didn't pop up. If it popped up, I probably would have looked, but it even pop up as, like, a <laughs> notification that you should be looking at. <laughs> it is special, man. It's just special. Come on. This is... It's, uh... See, JPK, the OD, said something and points out something here. Because this is our poll question of the day. Was Will Smith's slap at the Oscars real or staged? Real staged or I don't care. You have three options here. And JPK, the OD, makes, makes a good point. It's a sad cry for ratings. A strange thing happened on the way to the Oscars. Might as well have been 2 a.m. and headed to Subway in a blizzard. <laughs> Remember this. Remember this. I'm just, I'm just going to throw this out here. Last year was like a record low in ratings for the Oscars. Just, just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Does ratings period start the same for everything? Like TV and... Well, certain... Yeah, I mean, you have certain Nelson ratings, but the Oscars are always something that, you I'll know... I'll say, Arizona R start like today. So... No, they start later this week. 
Oh, so that'd be funny if I actually started to that same day that it's like, oh, then that makes sense. Yeah. Of course, you're going to have that obvious thing. I just... I then just, he was laughing and they went to... I don't... I don't. He was laughing. Like, literally, they showed him and like, you had to watch the feed from Australia and, and Japan, which people... You got to love social media because there's somebody out there taping the feed from Japan and Australia for us to, to, to watch online. And, you know, apparently he was calmed down during break and, and all this other stuff. So, you know, part of the outburst was not televised we just had to see it you know from another feed you know not the american feed but you know other countries feed so it's just a weird thing right like you're laughing at the joke like he literally made a joke about your wife and you're laughing about it and then 25 seconds later you up on stage walking up with a smile on your face and then you slap him and then you go sit back down and then you got angry like i don't understand that like that's the part that 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 throws me off about everything about the the Oscar slap is what like why are you laughing at the like did the camera turn away to go to to turn back to Chris Rock and then Jada gave him the business like Jada gave Will the business like why are you laughing at that man's joke about me being bald and then he got up and responded I mean that that I, can make sense I'm just saying but like if you just there, you know, if there's it's nothing a, going first on of all, there. It's a joke, too. Right. By the way, can can, can Chris we all Rock just, is a what? A comedian. He's a comedian. He roasts people all the time. That's what comedians do. Like and the Fresh Prince of Bel Air got all upset about. Like I just like if they really if there wasn't like a whole show that like celebrities go on for their birthday to be roasted by their fellow. <laughs> I just don't understand. Like actors and actors and all that, it would make sense if that something happened like that. It's like, okay, really, that was that, that was a little too far. But like, I on, don't... even on her like on her show, she has the red table, and that's one of the things she literally talked about is that making sure she has empowerment of you know we should look however we want to look and we should do whatever our hair wants to be because it matter what a man says we're gonna embrace ourselves. So she talks about she that. She also publicly like he didn't make a joke about their open marriage right like they have an open marriage and it became a very public thing a couple years ago right where you know she even had an awkward interview with her husband on her show about their open marriage and it's just like he made it he made a rock's joke wasn't even funny it was a gi jane joke that movie's from like 1997 1998 and it wasn't even a good movie then he made a ba- he made a bad joke, like not even a funny joke, and Will laughed at it, and then other people laughed at it, and then Will all of a sudden is up on stage slapping Chris Rock. I, yeah. I don't understand. I just that don't has, understand. That's <laughs> I why don't, it makes me lean towards it being staged. I don't understand. And not real because I, of that exact reason. I just don't understand sometimes the world we live in. <laughs> I was like, I was like, really? Really? And then my, my wife's like, oh, my God, he must have said something terrible. And then she pulls up the clip, and she's like, what? <laughs> she goes, what? I'll go, babe, you want to watch the Oscars? She goes, no, nah, we're good. I said, all right, there we go. Done. Done. I didn't bring it up to Kenneth at all. Like, I literally saw it, and I'm like, okay, next. <laughs> Swiped. I just don't know, man. I don't know. Oh, what I do know. 
is that you can vote on our poll question of the day. Go leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Let us know what you think about the big moment from last night's Oscar telecast. And then Will Smith wins the Best Actor Oscar later. And, and, and the thing is, like, you got some people that are upset about that because they're like, no one's going to, everyone's going to remember the slap. No one's going to remember the fact that he put in a, did a great performance in King Richard. Like, like no one's going to, like, no. everyone's going to know. First of all, not a lot of people saw that movie to begin with. I and, haven't seen it. <laughs> and, and, and now everyone's going to just know. The only thing people are going to remember about this year's Oscars is, and Will Smith is the fact that he slapped Chris Rock. Yeah, that's it. That's, it's just like, okay. Like, I hadn't even seen the movie either, so. I mean, I, I have it I have it on my list to watch because I heard it's very good, but yeah. <laughs> right now, 47% of you say, the slap was real. 37% say it was staged. 16% say, I don't care. <laughs> and Joe Cola shared. It's the first thing I thought of. I thought of, I, I first thing I thought of was that Will and Chris had an agreement to recreate the Chappelle show skit about when Rick James slapped Charlie Murphy across his face. That's what Joe Cole is sharing a, sharing a clip of. <laughs> what the five fingers say to the face? Slap. I just I was like, what? What I do know, Final Four is now set. Yes. And for all the talk that we spent the last two weeks, about upsets, about Cinderella teams, about one seeds and two seeds and three seeds being eliminated from the NCAA men's tournament. We have a, a chalk Final Four. We, we have four of the most historic, tradition-rich basketball programs in history that are going to be playing in the Final Four. That's what our final four is. Like with, with everything that happened, all the upsets, we end up with one of the chalkiest final fours of all time. And not because there are a bunch of ones and twos and three. No, it's because of the programs that are involved. Duke gets there. Of course, the Coach K Farrell tour continues to go on and on and on and on. And on, and on, and on. It just, it just, it just, it just won't stop. <laughs> Unfortunately, he gets to the final four. Coach K does. He gets to a record for him. No coach in history now has been to more final fours as a head coach. Coach K now has thirteen at Duke. That surpasses the tie that he shared with John Wooden, the legendary UCLA coach. So Coach K, farewell tour, he gets there. The Duke Blue Devils, 13th Final Four under Coach K. And, of course, they're going to be taking on their rival from Tobacco Road, their arch nemesis, a team they share state with, a team they share conference with, a team they share their history with. You, you can't tell the story of basketball without 
UNC, North Carolina, Tar Heels, and Duke Blue Devils. They are linked. And poor Cinderella, she found her shoe. Well, yeah, that that was bound to happen. North Carolina kind of flew into the radar, got better as the season progressed. We saw what they did to Duke and Coach K in his final game there in Cameron Indoor Arena. North Carolina went on a tear themselves. They knocked out poor Cinderella, St. Peter's, the Peacocks. Oh, they had uh, their run came to an end. So in one final four, it's going to be North Carolina versus Duke. No Cinderella there. The other final four matchup, we get Villanova versus Kansas. Bill Self leading the Jayhawks to yet another final four. Jay Wright at Villanova leading the Wildcats to another final four. Now, they had a guy get severely injured. He's going to be out now in their win over the Houston Cougs. But Villanova versus Kansas in one final four game. The other one, Duke, North Carolina. That's your final four. Duke, North Carolina, Villanova, and Kansas. Very chalky. Should be fun down in New Orleans. Final four games will be Saturday. And then the national championship game will be Monday. That's all going to be taking place in the Superdome, by the way. So final four games. You look, okay, you look puzzled. They have big final four games in big football arenas now. They've done that for about 15, 20 years. Okay, it's not in a basketball arena. They create a stage inside the Superdome because the Superdome holds more fans. Football stadiums hold more fans than basketball arenas do. This is called money. (laughs) This is called money. So they actually have to create a stage. And a lot of times... You had the issue with the Louisville player. I don't know if you remember this a couple years ago. Because the floor is above ground level. They had it at that particular venue where the floor, there's a drop off. And the player dropped off and shredded his knee. So yes. In the Superdome, Final Four, Saturday, national title on Monday. Duke, North Carolina in one Final Four, Villanova. Kansas and the other. What a start to today's show. Talking the Oscars, talking Will Smith, either staging or not staging a slap to Chris Rock. Final four set. It's all chalk. Woo! Or tradition-rich programs, however you want to view it. Good start to today's show. We'll keep it going. We'll keep it moving. LSU baseball responded in a big way. We'll talk about that next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19, hit me. 20, hit me. 21, hit me. 22. Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Oh, uh, do you want to see some of the most elite dunkers and exceptional ball handlers on the planet? Well, I do. The world-famous Harlem Trotters are returning to the Cajun Dome on Tuesday, April 5th. That's a week from tomorrow. And you can see them live. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is giving away a four-pack of tickets for the family-friendly show. How do you win? Simply text TROTTER, that's T-R-O-T-T-E-R, to 68683 to win tickets to see the Globetrotters live inside the Cajun Dome. I already scored my tickets. Taking the little one. She loves the basketball. You want to join me there? Once again, text Trotter to 68683 to win a family four-pack of tickets to see the Harlem Globetrotters live at the Cajun Dome, courtesy of Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Talking about that Final Four, talking about basketball, Final Four, whatnot. SEC has not won a title in men's basketball now since 2012. For the conference, that just means more. Not great. Arkansas was the only real shot they had after the first weekend, right? So, Razorbacks have their run end in the Elite Eight. Heck of a season for them. But just an interesting tidbit. As, as great as we said the SEC was this year, only had one team reach the Elite Eight and still looking for a national title since 2012. Just something to throw out there. Because we're like, oh, they're great. And yet, you look at the Final Four, you had two teams from the ACC when the ACC was supposed to be garbage and down this year. Just saying. Just saying. LSU baseball, boy, they needed this past weekend, didn't they? After stumbling for about a week and a half, including opening up conference play with a series loss and to Texas A&M, the Tigers dropped in about middle of the pack. Then they followed that up with an extra inning loss to Louisiana Tech during the midweek contest there at the box last week. And the weekend did not start off well for the Tigers. As number nine, Florida beat them 7-2 to in the opener on Friday. Series took place in Gainesville. But then Jay Johnson's team just turned around and said, let's all of a sudden pretend like it's batting practice. And that's what they did. 16-4 to on Saturday. They just went stupid over the weekend like sometimes this happens and this isn't a bad team this is a top 10 ranked team in the country and LSU just had had enough of losing and it had enough of being embarrassed and had enough of not living up to their caliber of play for a program and they just crushed the face of Florida Two runs in the first. Then they played it six in the third on Saturday. And then they're like, that had been enough. They added another run in the fifth, right? That would have been enough. They were leading that game nine to four heading into the ninth inning. Five run cushion. Not a big deal. They added seven more in the ninth. Seven. <laughs> Just their bats exploded. 
and Cruz put the finishing touches on Saturday's win when he had the three-run blast there in the ninth to cap the scoring to make it 16-4. to But Dugas homered in that game. The Tigers scored on errors. Just ridiculous type of performance by LSU on Saturday. But even though they had multiple players get multiple hits, right? Right, Joe Boyer, Gavin Dugas, Trey Morgan, Kay Doty, Jordan Thompson. They all had at least two hits in that game. But you're like, can they come back and do it again the next day? Mikhail Hilliard, I still I still got questions about Hilliard on the mound. He struck out seven on Saturday, but he gave up four earned runs in five innings. Now he gets the win because his teammates carried him and decided to treat Florida's pitching staff like it was batting practice. But Mikhail Hilliard can't be giving up four or five runs a game, man. Not if they want to turn that into something actually get on a roll and be a legit contender but LSU did come back the next day and crush the face of Florida again 11 to 2 four runs another big inning four runs in the fourth and then they added seven in the six 11 runs 12 hits Joe Bear homered Trinvitsky homered Morgan came up big Joe Bear homered again. So, it's a good bounce-back series on the road against a top-10 opponent. They get their first series win under their belts now. And maybe they've kind of turned a corner because they were, look, they were stumbling. They were struggling. Defense was not great. The pitching, particularly on the back end, wasn't great either. And that's why they lost against Texas A&M. And then they lose against Louisiana Tech for the second time this season. But to go on the road after dropping the first game pretty convincingly, to come back and rout your your opponent back-to-back days to take the series, you'll take that all day long if you're an LSU fan. They'll get back to action Tuesday night when they host ULM. The Warhawks head to Alex Box. Of course, we'll carry that game live right here on the game for you. First pitch scheduled for 6.30. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll take your phone calls. Hotline's open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. P3 is known for being a well-tempered and thoughtful sports journalist. The incompetence, the absolute abundance of arrogance from Rob Manford makes me want to punch him in his throat. Okay, well, we all have our bad days. I'm not kidding. If he was right here in the studio, I would walk up to him and throw him a punch. Well, let's all hope he took his meds today. Back to hopefully a calm and collected RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
The game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station wants to give you a chance to score the ultimate crawfish boil. Brought to you by J&J Exterminating, Kramer Equipment, and Cody's Crawfish. Look, here's the deal. You can win two sacks of live crawfish, a pot, a burner, a paddle, an ice chest, a tumbler, chairs, and I'm talking the good kind that can hold up your boy RP3 even. I'm not talking about those cheap ones that break or the ones that dry rot easily. No, no. We're talking quality chairs. On top of that, you're going to get a $500 Visa gift card. That alone makes this possibly the most tremendous prize package we've ever given away. But we're not done. Not done! The two sacks of live crawfish, all the utensils to have the crawfish boil, and a Visa gift card for $500, not enough. You know what else we're giving you? Tickets to go see the Houston Astros. That's right. This is why it's called the ultimate crawfish boil. I know you want to win this. You need this in your life. You need to win this. We want to help you. We want to help you score the ultimate crawfish boil. This is how you got to win. You got to go sign up today right now. Go to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Go sign up for our rewards club. It's easy. It's free to do. And once you become a member, you're going to have the opportunity to score the ultimate crawfish boil. Brought to you by JJ Exterminating, Kramer Equipment, Cody's Crawfish, and The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Poll question of the day. Let's check in on them, shall we? It's only fair. It's the slap heard around the world. Once again, could there be a possibility that Will Smith and Chris Rock have decided to recreate the Chappelle show skit when Dave Chappelle played Rick James slapping Charlie Murphy played by Charlie Murphy. Could that have been what was happening? We're all just being trolled? Or was it authentic? Was it real? Did Will get in trouble with Jada by laughing at the joke and then deciding, uh-oh, I got to go do something, and then went up there and slapped Chris Rock across his face? 57% of you say it was real, 20% say it's staged, and 23% of you say, I don't care. <laughs> Todd on Twitter shares a family guy gift. <laughs> Who the hell cares? <laughs> a lot of people feel that way. Did I care enough to tune in? to the Oscars following the slap? No. Did five names care enough after bowling and family excursion time to tune in to the Oscars after she saw it on the TikTok? No. No. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that Cajun says staged, but I really don't care. Didn't even watch a second of that show. <laughs> oh man oh little neff says look at the form that neck muscle look rocks face like he just took a right hook that's real <laughs> but also his face it looks like he has a smile on his face as well here's the other part of this if you're a comedian 
you're up there taking jokes because you want to get a rile out of people, right? You want to say right. something that's going to make people go, ooh, like, you know, Ricky Gervais always hosts the Golden Globes and roast everyone, right? That, yeah. that, that's, that's what the audience is wanting. Mm-hmm. You told a joke. It Once again, his joke about comparing Jada to G.I. Jane, first of all, that's a dated reference. Second of all, it wasn't even a good movie. Third of all, it wasn't even that good of a joke. Right. But as a comedian, you got a superstar actor, Hollywood icon, to come on stage and to slap you in your mouth for a joke you said. What do you think this is going to do for Chris Rock? Makes him I'm just, I'm just like this is going to be great for Rock. He's going to take this and run with it. There's going to be a whole thing. There may be a whole special based on just this now. Uh-huh. Chris Rock's going to make money because of this. Chris Rock is going to sell concert tickets for his next stand-up special because of this. It's going to be on Fallon show. Don't worry. This will be everywhere. This will be everywhere. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying, people. <laughs> Chris Rock still had a smile on his face, and then he even made a joke back to Will Smith. It's like, man, it's just a G.I. Jane joke. And he took a slap. Yeah, you, you don't think he's going to turn that around? Will Smith, big, oh, muscular, big, 50 more pounds on me, came up and slapped. Did I fall down? No. It, it just writes itself. Yeah. Just writes itself. Somebody on <laughs> Brian Guidry on Facebook said his first fight since leaving Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> That's why his mama threw him out of the house, made him go live with his auntie. Yeah, I saw a lot of Fresh Prince jokes. It's just... So ridiculous. So ridiculous. <laughs> it really is not that funny. I'm like, I'm reading the joke right now. The joke's not funny. No. It's not It's not a funny. He yet. says, Jada, I love you first. Right. It's part of the joke. Yes. I don't like, and, and then Will laughed at the joke. This is what throws me off. Is the slap real? Yes. Uh, it was just a bizarre thing. It's just a bizarre thing. Like, okay. Yeah, and people are like, oh, Chris Rock going to be just fine. The skinny little comedian's going to be just fine. He's going to get so much mileage out of this. He should probably be paying Will Smith money for how much money he's going to make off of this. Like, I can just hear the, the I can just see the title of the next, I can see it on my, I see it on the screen. The title of the next Jokes that'll get you slapped. The new Chris Rock special on HBO. Here it comes. Oh, like, yeah. like that's, the, that's the exact type of reality. Like, you want to make people, there's certain comedians that want to make people that angry and get them that fired up. And that is per, and, and he got under Will's skin with a lame joke. Like not even a joke that's funny. And he got that type of reaction. Can you imagine if he talked about something about Jada's former partner, August, made some type of August joke? Like, just, 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 about, like, what would his reaction been then? Ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous. Just sorry, it just is. <laughs> Let's talk Raging Cajuns because good weekend on the diamond for both Jerry Glasgow's team. And Matt Deggs' team. Good weekend for both. 
which was good to see. Cajuns baseball, they win their first Sun Belt Series, and they did so against South Alabama, their arch rival, their nemesis. And they win it in walk-off crazy fashion on Friday night to take game one. They drop a hard-fought game two on Saturday. So it all comes down to the rubber match yesterday. And the Cajuns, well, they rose to the occasion. Credit them because just like LSU had been doing, the Cajuns had been struggling on the diamond. Bullpen had not looked good. Starting pitching hadn't looked much better. And they just weren't getting consistent hits. So winning in dramatic fashion on Friday night and then dropping Saturday's game, they grabbed a 6-3 win on Sunday to improve to 11-12 on the season. And they had to rally in this game. South Alabama jumped out to a 2-0 lead in the top of the first, and you're like, oh, man. Like, you just, oh, really? They're going to drop this game. The, 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 the Jags are going to take games two and games three. They're going to win this series, and you're going to have that bad taste in your mouth. But credit the Cajuns for just keep fighting away. First Sun Belt Series win of the season. They get closer to being 500 again. Will Veon went two for three, had two RBIs, and had a score to run on his own. He was a big contributor on Sunday. And the Cajuns also had 27 putouts in this game, which is a weird number. The pitching staff did not get K's, did not strike out the batters. They were just able to get everyone with putouts. So even though the pitchers did not have their best stuff and gave up an early lead and weren't fanning batters, right? Cajuns still found a way to eke out a victory. Of course, they will be traveling on the road for two midweek games this week. They'll go to Hammond on Tuesday night to take on southeastern Louisiana. And then they'll follow that up by making the short drive down to New Orleans to play UNO on Wednesday. And then they'll come back at home for a three-game set against Georgia Southern. Matt Deggs, afterwards, had plenty to say. And in particular, how did it feel for his team to win their first weekend series? Well, we needed it. I know we're a good team. We can be a good team, and we can get a lot better as a team. And they're a really, really good team, and they're older, and they've been there, and, you know, they've been to where we're wanting to get to. And just winning a series is not ever what we're shooting for, but at this juncture, you know, you got to start small to finish big. So, you know, definitely take it. He was also asked, does he believe that this could be maybe a turning point for the program, which has been had an up-and-down start to the season. They beat a really good team. South Alabama's a really good program. It's an arch nemesis. Could this be a turning point for his program now as we head into April? It can always be a turning point, but, you know, that's got to be played out. You know, you've got to play good baseball because it doesn't get any easier for us. We've got a five-game week this week against, uh, you know, quality, quality in-state opponents and then a really good Georgia Southern team coming in. So I don't think you can term a turning point until after the season. 
he's been preaching something that he's been waiting to see from his team, and that is consistent baseball. It's come up multiple times in press conferences and in interviews since the start of the season, and it's been lacking. And they, they lacked it a little bit still this weekend, but they still were able to get the series victory over the Jags. And Deggs talked about when asked, how close is his team to getting to that level of consistent, good baseball? Not even close. Not close. I know what we're capable of, and we play good in spurts, but as far as maintaining good baseball, we're not close. That doesn't mean we won't get there. We will get there. We're just beat up right now. Mentally, physically, we're just beat up having been through the gauntlet that we've been through. And it doesn't get any easier. You just, you know, you try to go from treading water to swimming. Look, they're not playing to the standard yet that he wants this program to be playing at. And even with the series win over South Alabama, taking two of three, that's great. They're still under 500. Right? They're still under 500 overall and in conference play. So when you hear Degg saying, hey, you know what? This is a good start, but we're not where we need to be. They're not playing to the potential where they need to be. So completely understand that. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, Rachel Cajun softball team, they look like ooh, they look like world beaters over the weekend. We'll talk about that next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Rachel Cajun softball team, well, you know, They've had some ups and downs. They dropped a game against Georgia State in that series, but still won the series. And then they dropped a game against Georgia Southern, but still won that series. Well, there was no dropping of any games this past weekend at Lamson Park as they absolutely crushed UT Arlington. Crushed them. Not a single one of those games lasted past the sixth inning. Two of them ended in the fifth inning as the Raging Cajuns just rolled over the Mavericks. They outscored the Mavericks 29-1 to over the three-game series. 29-1. to Now, they'll get a chance to get a signature win, which they lack. They have not been. They were 0-2 against LSU, 0-2 against Texas, 0-2 against Alabama. They're going to go play Texas on the road for a midweek game contest this week. So Jerry Glasgow's team will have a chance to kind of prove itself against elite competition uh but this is what glasgow had to say for his team feeling like they're getting his claim for the team to get a sweep we don't play good tomorrow and they make a liar out of me i'm gonna have a lot of center field club members really mad at me so Ah. we've had fun with that i don't usually guarantee anything and because the game will just beat you but you know, it was time to, I thought it was time to reassure our fan club. And by doing so, I hope I give my team confidence. That, uh, I gave my team assurance that I had confidence in them because I know they're better than what they've been playing. That was Saturday. He made the bold claim, yeah, I think we're going to win them all. <laughs> Which was nice. They did. They crushed They crushed UTA. And maybe the fans will, uh, fans were starting to chatter a little bit. Losing to Georgia State, losing Georgia Southern. Not exactly the Raging Cajun standard, but a big series sweep for the Raging Cajun softball team. 
Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Dancing, dancing, me, oh, my crawfish pie. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. 7.03 on this foggy Monday morning. Make sure you're safe out there while you're making your commute to work in school today. We do appreciate you making us part of your morning, whether you're listening on the radio dial or on the free game mobile app available on both Android and Apple devices. Also, if you're listening on Google Home or on your Alexa device, we appreciate you as well. And for all of those watching on the simulcast here in Acadiana, on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber, shout out to you. Hour number one, whew, it was a good one. We talked about the Final Four being set down in New Orleans. For all the talks of all those upsets and Cinderella stories, we have a Final Four that's going to pit Duke versus North Carolina in one semifinal game. And the other, Villanova versus Kansas. <laughs> Just <laughs> lots of national championships between those four programs. Lots of Final Four appearances between those four programs. But it should be a good one. Carolina, UNC, and Duke, Tobacco Road rivalry in a Final Four. They've never faced each other, by the way, in the NCAA tournament. All the times that they played each other during the regular season, during the ACC tournament, and as much tradition as they have, you would think that they would have at some point faced each other in the NCAA tournament. Never have done it. So that'll be, I mean, that's going to be amazing. In Villanova, can they keep making teams look ugly? Because that's what Jay Wright's teams do. Now, they lost one of their star players. They'll be out. They'll be down a man. In Kansas... Of the four teams, even though North Carolina is the lowest seed, right? They're the eighth seed. The team that no one seemingly is talking about is now Kansas, which is interesting. And, you know, the Jayhawks were a one seed in their bracket, in their region, by the way. Just kind of under the radar. I think that works to Bill Self. I think that works for Bill Self. So, Interesting Final Four down in New Orleans. Once again, the semifinals will be on Saturday and then the national title game a week from tonight. Of course, we'll cover that and carry that right here on the game. We talked Final Four in hour number one. We talked LSU baseball. After stumbling against Texas A&M and then losing their midweek affair against the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs, 
Hannah Five names his favorite team or the one that she loves making the most grimacing faces about. The Tigers started off their road trip in Gainesville poorly, losing to Florida. But then they came back in a monstrous way. Jay Johnson's team, we know they can hit. This is what they do. The pitching is the big question mark. And they got after it. They got after it after losing, dropping that first game 7-2. to two. They outscored Florida, the number nine ranked team in the country, 27-4 to four the next two days. They improved to 17-7 and seven overall, and now will host ULM on Tuesday. First pitch set for 6.30. Of course, you can listen to that game live right here on the game. Cajuns had a good weekend as well. Matt Deggs' team wins in dramatic walk-off fashion on Friday against South Alabama. The Cajuns had been struggling just like LSU. And then they drop Saturday's game. You're like, oh, no. And then they let South Alabama get on top of them early on Sunday in the rubber match. And you're like, oh, no. But they found a way. They win Sunday's game. They take the series, their first Sunbelt Series victory of the year. And maybe, just maybe, Matt Deggs' team is starting to turn a corner. They're still below 500 overall. They're still below 500 in conference play. But you got to start somewhere, right? They'll have two midweek games on the road, back-to-back, Tuesday, Wednesday, at Southeastern Louisiana, and then at UNO. Then they come back home for Georgia Southern. Look, the early part of their Sunbelt Conference schedule is their toughest. Troy, South Al, Georgia Southern, that's all on the front end of the schedule. Man, if they could turn around and win another weekend series, you could start seeing this team play to the potential. I still have question marks about the Cajuns and the Tigers baseball teams, specifically their pitching. I still don't know if they have the pitching. You're going to need the pitchers to win a conference tournament and in particular win a regional. You got to have you got to have the arms. I don't know if either team has enough reliable arms. One guy isn't going to do it. This isn't softball where you can just ride the arm of one pitcher for an entire conference tournament or for an entire regional and win it. You can do that in college softball. College baseball you cannot. You need multiple guys. I don't know if either team has that as it stands right now. Now, they're trending in the right direction but I just don't feel like they're quite there yet. Cajun softball, we also talked about them. They had a big weekend as well. Mauling the UTA Mavericks. Just destroying them. 29-1. to They outscored UTA 29-1 to in three games. And two of those games were ended in the fifth. That's the type of confidence boost that Jerry Glasgow's team needed. Make no bones about that. They needed that because even though they had defeated Georgia Southern and defeated Georgia State to win those series, they dropped games and struggled in some of the other ones. And people started talking. You know, people started saying things like, hey, um, this team, like these are bad losses. Like some people said there's the worst loss in decades when they lost to Georgia Southern, lost to Georgia State. 
So to go out there and take down an inferior opponent and do so in convincing fashion with the bats and with the pitching, well, that's all you can ask for. And now they get a chance, Jerry's team does, to go on the road and prove themselves against Texas, a team that took a doubleheader away from them at Lampson Park. Jerry's team is still searching for that signature win. The opportunities they've had against Power 5 opponents, they've fallen short. Lost both games to LSU. Lost both games to Alabama. Lost both games to Texas. They get one more chance here because no one in the Sun Belt's really going to test them. So if they want to kind of lock things up moving forward and they, they could use one of those quality wins they could use those especially considering you've lost a game to georgia state and you've lost a game to georgia southern that doesn't help you you won the series that's the ultimate goal but you know this team can't afford to drop a sunbelt series or two so anything they can do outside a conference to help them would go a long, long way. I mean, they have the pitching that was out there on Saturday, especially. I mean, there's a big chance to take Texas, I'm hoping. I have all my fingers crossed for but, them. <laughs> but Texas hit Kendra the last time they faced. I know. Right? They took both of those games at Lampson Park. So, once again, playing well and dominating UTA, that's one thing, five names. Actually getting a win over a quality Power 5 opponent that's on the same level as you competition-wise, they haven't proven they can do that yet. They just haven't. Great weekend for them. Make no bones about it. they got to prove they can beat a better team. They have yet to beat a team as good as them or better than them. They haven't. And they've actually lost to inferior teams. Once again, early in the season, when we have three series under their belt, but, man, if they could go and get a win in Texas, now you're building some momentum. Now your young team is maturing and growing up in front of you and could possibly turn a corner. And if you can do that, then you get that a level of boost of confidence that can propel you even further. So we'll see. We'll see about that. And, of course, our poll question of the day. The Oscars were last night. Did you know? I did not watch them. <laughs> I will admit, I used to watch the Oscars. I do not. But, of course, the Oscars and all the deserving honorees um, in Canto did not win for Best Original Song. That did not go over well in the Parts household because that is, you know, our favorite jam these days. Not only do we love the movie, we listen to the soundtrack. And uh, we, we were pulling for you know, Miranda to win because he's won the Tony, he's won everything else, did not win the Oscar. I do love me some Miranda. They gave that to Billie Eilish in a kind of a very mediocre James Bond song, which they tend to do. They love giving the Oscar to James Bond themes. And that was a mediocre James Bond movie and a mediocre theme song. Sorry, Billie Eilish. Have to be honest. So. If you're even listening to us. <laughs> yeah, Jessica Chastain went, finally wins an Oscar for her performance as Tammy Faye. And, you know, there's a lot of deserving awards. And Will Smith won the Oscar for Best Actor. Actually won the award for Best Actor. But that's not what anyone cares about because my man got on stage and slapped Chris Rock across his face. 
slapped him. And the first thing I thought is like, oh, they're like, I just couldn't help but think about the Chappelle show skit where it was Charlie Murphy talking about the time that Rick James slapped him across his face and did the whole, what did the five fingers say to the face? Slap. Like, that's what I thought of. And Rock was still smiling and still cracked a one-liner. And there's so much confusion. Like, there's confusion at the Oscars. There was confusion on social media. Is this real? Is it staged? Because he was laughing at the joke. Like, the camera was on Will Smith, and he was laughing at the joke. But you see Jada's response, his wife, and her response, and it was not one of pleasure or amusement. And then all of a sudden, we see Will Smith walk onto the stage and smack Chris Rock across his face over a G.I. Jane joke. Like, G.I. Jane joke. But did this things, did this skirmish, if you will, on Hollywood's biggest night, did it cause me to tune into the Oscars afterwards? No. <laughs> it did not. Did it cause five names to tune into the Oscars? It did not. Many of you, it did not either. I know. Poll question of the day. Was Will Smith's slap at the Oscars real or stage? 52% of you say real. 27% say I don't care. (laughs) And 21% say staged. (laughs) Darren shared a... A little video clip of someone. <laughs> Priceless. <laughs> Some fake fighting. Some hold me back. Hold me back, bro. Hold me back. <laughs> Steve has commented on Twitter. Just saw it on YouTube. Looked like RP3 going after Rob Manford. Seriously. Will Smith hits like a little... Brad on Twitter says nobody cares about Will Smith or the Oscars anymore, but if it was staged, he wouldn't have dropped a couple of F-bombs after the slap. It's a fair point. This is what makes things confusing. You're, you're, you're also laughing at the joke. I don't understand. Like, did he just laugh because he thought that was what was expected of him, and then his woman gave him the business of, like, why are you laughing at that joke? And then he was like, oh, yeah. Why was I laughing? And like, oh, then he goes up on the stage and then slaps rock. I don't know. I don't know. Like laughs, change of tone, walks up, slaps, comes back. And then is angrier and then gets after he slaps. Like, well, the way that he's crying and his, his acceptance speech later for his award, he's still crying. Like you can see the tears coming out of his face. Apparently he was crying during like the television break. And Denzel Washington and, like, Tyler Perry had to, like, come and comfort him or confront him. Like, apparently, like, Denzel was pissed. He's like, what are you doing? Like, what you doing? Like, I, I just. I, I don't know. I just don't understand, man. <laughs> Mr. Cajun has chimed in. Slap me like that and Jada will be singing at a funeral. <laughs> Oh, man. I just I just don't know, man. I just don't know. It, it, it was like... First of all, it was... I said this before. It was, it was a lame joke. It wasn't even funny. No. Like, did you go up there to slap him and be like, do better? 
That was a bad joke. Do better. But no, you got like viscerally upset about it. Yeah. I don't understand, man. Texan in Acadiana says, watching rich people pat themselves on the back on TV is like people watching Congress giving themselves raises. raises. Who cares? We the peasants are getting screwed in the end somehow. <laughs> Y'all never disappoint. Y'all no. never disappoint. Like Jude literally said, don't care one bit. Why do we care about actors at all? <laughs> what they do? Like why? I don't know. They do provide us with entertainment. Yeah. But I don't care what they're like. I, I've oh. said I've said this before. People go, you know, so and so said this about the president, or so and so said this about this. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care what actors think or say or do. I just want to be entertained. So if I go to the cinema, well, I sound very fancy now, don't you? We said cinema. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> we went to the ballet over the weekend, so maybe that was, it was carrying over. <laughs> just took our daughter to. We had a pageant on Saturday, and then. That night, we took our daughter to the ballet to see Cinderella at the uh, uh, at the Hyman Center. She she had a lovely time, by the way. She got to dress up in the whole nine yards. She got to see the beautiful dancers. So, and uh, Daddy even wore a sport coat for the occasion. He did yes, yes. Find him on Facebook for the pictures. <laughs> so yes, the cinema, but like I, I just want to be entertained. Right. Right. That's all. <clears throat> like really? like uh, that's all. I just want to be entertained. They even had the whole thing. I know it's just, you hated the copy for it last time, but they did have a thing I saw that I actually was like, haha, about is uh, Patrick Mahomes. There's a video of Patrick Mahomes and his girlfriend. And it says on top of it, it's like, not even Patrick Mahomes is amused by his girlfriend anymore. And she's like, said something. And he was like, please stop. Like, do we have to? And she looks to her friend and is like, oh my gosh, like, what do we need to do? Like, just sit here? Yes, sit there and watch the game. It looks like they were like basketball, maybe, and he just like is not amused at all. To the point that he was like, "Can you just leave?" But once again, like, why, why? do we even care about that? No, that's a bigger point. Like, y'all care way too but much about Patrick back. Mahomes' girlfriend <laughs> and fiance, wife, whatever she is. Like, y'all care way too is. much. Y'all w- care way too much. Yeah, y'all watch too much Kardashians and care way too much about right. that kind of nonsense. I watch TikTok to get my food recipes. <laughs> you watch TikTok to get food recipes. I do. <laughs> or, like, there's people that go and, like, I feel like their whole life when they get home, like, I'm going to go and watch an episode of a show and tape all of it to put on TikTok. So I can watch, like, full episodes of, like, Grey's Anatomy, uh, 911. Why? You're watching Grey's Anatomy? Why is that show still on the air? It wasn't good when it first because launched. Because she is still on there. As soon as Meredith Grey quits. The name of the show, or the show's named after her. Yeah, that's why I literally, everyone's to the point that if she, if she decides she's done, the show's done. They will find a way to end the show. I've not watched, I tried to watch one episode when it first got launched, because everyone was talking about it, and I couldn't sit through the episode. I was like, no, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I tried to watch it with Kenneth. Like he wanted to watch it because I had talked about it, like a reference, and he was like, "I want to watch it." And then I like, knew what was going on, so it was made not not fun anymore because like I knew what was going on was going to happen, and he didn't know, so it made it boring for me to watch. <laughs> so I just ruined one episode and it was done. <laughs> I, I I speak for many. If they decided <laughs> to end Grey's Anatomy, I would not be upset. I don't know what Ellen Pompeo would do with her life if she was not doing I, Grey's Anatomy. I think she'll be fine. I, I think, think she would. But I, like, I think what the do money you see made her? from being on a show for like ten plus years. I think you're set. 
Yeah. Think you're good to go but I was there. Like, what is she, she going to do? Is she gonna, actually like going to act more after this? Or do you think she's just going to like, eh, I'm going to retire now? That's what I, that's what I want to know. Like, what, she, what is her thought process if she leaves Grey's Anatomy? Like, what does she do? She's, she's going to think of a way to go on stage and slap another presenter. <laughs> that's what she's going to do. Is this going to be a thing now where everyone's going to slap people? <laughs> like, I just, I just, I want this to be a thing now where people are just like, how soon before someone mocks it during an award ceremony? How soon do we have to wait for someone to go up there and do a fake slap making fun of Will Smith slapping Chris Rock? I don't think it's going to be that I long at all. I think it's like the next like award MTV awards show. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna go. They're like so <laughs> instead of like grabbing the award, they're gonna like go to slap the person they're getting the award from, and then just like slowly grab the <laughs> award. <laughs> That's our poll question of the day. People are just oh man, people are special. Go vote on our poll question of the day. Do you believe that Will Smith slap the whole thing was staged, was real, or do you just not care? Leave us your thoughts. Be careful with the colorful language. <laughs> Please. It's a little bit harder to say y'all's comments if there's, if there's a curse word in it. But go vote on our poll question of the day. Woo. When we come back, we're going to talk a little Lake Charles championship. Oh, yeah. That's going to happen. I went over, saw it live in person. First one in the books. Needed three playoff holes to get there. We'll talk about that next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one major league baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. The Lake Charles Championship was supposed to launch a few years ago. Then COVID happened. And the tournament was scrapped altogether. Postponed a year. They were supposed to come and be ready to go for 2021. But then Hurricane Laura happened. And then another hurricane happened. And Lake Charles was devastated. And they could not bring the tournament back. So... The inaugural championship finally gets played this past weekend. They're at the Country Club at the Golden Nugget. Tremendous golf course, Lynx-style golf course. Wind was an issue, and it was an issue when we played in the Pro-Am last week, and it was an issue all weekend long. <laughs> I just, it was absolutely brutal out there. Yet, they crowned a champion. And what a way to have your inaugural Corn Ferry Tour tournament than for it to go on 
three playoffs. Three. And the gentleman who ends up winning it, what a great story for him. Because Trevor Werbel had a chance to get into the playoff last week at the Chittimacha Louisiana Open. But he missed the putt on 18. He missed the putt on 18. He could have been part of a three-way playoff there at Lake Triumph Golf and Country Club, but is unable to do so. Doesn't make his putt. Ends up being disappointed by that. Comes back. Decides to stay and comes and plays in the Lake Charles Championship. He bogeys 16 yesterday in his final round. Gives a shot back. But then he birdies 17, birdies 18. Boom, boom. That's a strong finish. In his way is the gentleman from Korea, Mr. Kim, who was masterful as well in his final round. They're tied atop the leaderboard. So they have to play 18 again. They both get birdies. Both driving the fairway. Both get set up great par, uh, great birdie putts. They both make their birdie putts. Well, we need another time at it. And the second time around, Trevor's shot is errant. It hits the cart path behind the grandstands. The grandstands at the Lake Charles Championship are on the left side of the 18. It hits the cart path and rolls down and is behind the bushes, behind the grandstands on 18. And Kim is on the dance floor. Long, he's got a long, long putt, but he's on the dance floor. Trevor, in a shot they call the birdie from the bushes, is what they decided to call this afterwards. He's able to chip from behind the grandstands back on to the green, but it rolls off the green. So it's right there on that first cut right off the green, near the bunker. It does not roll into the bunker. On the second playoff hole, Trevor puts that in. Drains it. Birdie putt. Forces another playoff. On the third playoff hole, they have to go walk over, make the short distance, walk over to one. Kim drives his tee shot into the bunker. Now he's having to get up and down to get par. Trevor makes his putt. Kim misses his putt. Trevor Warble is your champion. His dad was on the bag. It was great seeing that. His pop was just, you know, helping him all along. And the fact that he made that shot the way he did. Because we thought the tournament was over. Like, we thought it was game over. When we saw where he was having to hit from, it was like, there's no way. And then he wasn't even technically really on the green. He was right offside the green. And he was able to put that in. Crowd went berserk. Great crowd as well on hand. Lake Charles did a very nice job with the Corn Ferry Tour stop. Tournament ends with a third playoff hole. The crowds were good. The weather was good. Now, it is windy as hell out there. (laughs) Windy. But the reaction by the public, there was a nice gallery on Sunday. Not as big as the Chittimacha Louisiana Open, but you could see the potential for this being a really great tour stop for the Corn Ferry Tour. So congratulations 
to Trevor Werbel for winning the Lake Charles Championship on the third playoff hole. And he's moving on to Savannah. It's his second career win. And back-to-back tournaments for the Corn Ferry Tour that needed playoffs. So exciting golf. Bonus golf, as they like to say. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to talk all things LSU with our guy Jeff Plermo, sports director for the Louisiana Radio Network and co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. He'll join us next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. P3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the LSU baseball team woke up from its slumber. Still got questions about the pitching. They still give a whip, way, give up rather way too many runs. But those bats, man, they were a holy terror over the weekend in Gainesville. After dropping game one of their series against number nine ranked Florida, LSU came back and just whooped, took the Gators to behind the woodshed the next two days to take the series, their first SEC series win of the season. To recap it and to talk all things LSU is our friend, the sports director for the Louisiana Radio Network, as well as co-host of Tiger Rag Radio, our good friend, the, the one and only Jeff Palermo. Jeff, good morning to you, bud. How you doing, brother? Uh, I'm doing well, Raymond. How you doing? Doing great. So first question, what the hell got into LSU over the weekend? Well, you know, the, the roller coaster of an, L, of an LSU baseball season, right? You know, after they lose Friday night, um, you, you got fans saying, well, not going to even make the NCAA tournament this year. Lucky to win nine games in league play. And now, <laughs> after two blowout victories against a, a top 10 team in the Gators, I think uh, LSU baseball fans are thinking about, well, maybe this team's good enough to get to Omaha. I mean, that's, um, you know, baseball's always uh, talked about uh, how it's a slow game, but things can change in a hurry. And it really is amazing that, uh, you know, a home run by Trey Morgan in the first inning really got this team on Saturday off to just uh, a different start. And I, I kind of also want to know, really, what, what did Jay Johnson say to his team after that? loss on Friday, you know, a lackluster game where they really didn't do much until the, the last uh, – they, they were shut out for most of the game until scoring a couple runs late. And then they just – they look like an obviously different team. And it's not just the fact that they swung the bats as well, but they were – you can 
during the broadcast, you can you can hear them from the dugouts uh, cheering on their teammates and getting a little rowdy, and, and and it got under the skin of the Florida Gators, especially on Sunday when LSU still kept scoring runs against them. So something was said. Something was said that uh, really lit a fire under this team. Obviously, the, the position switch as well, moving Doty to short, Thompson to second. I don't know if that was the answer, but um, you, know, you go back to the last national championship season and when Paul Maneri inserted uh, Austin Nola at shortstop, put Mike, made, kept Mikey Mott, took the, the everyday center field, enter, enter everyday center fielder, that team took off. And, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here, but uh, sometimes just a little bit of a shakeup uh, can get a team going. And for at least on Saturday and Sunday, LSU looked like a really – dynamite team they look like the type of team lsu fans expect to see right that's what we saw saturday and sunday that that's the team that the fans expect to see now is that realistic to hope that the lsu baseball team plays that way week in and week out no (laughs) but that's exactly the type of team that everyone hopes to see and wants to see right jeff yeah, I mean, yeah, they're they're not going to score double-digit runs every game in the SEC, but it shows you the potential that when you get these guys swinging the bats like they can. You know, Braden Bear got off to this fantastic start to the season, and then he cooled a little bit. Well, he, he came back to life here. Uh, Trey Morgan did not have a very good uh, opening weekend against Texas A&M. Um, you know, hits the home run. Yesterday, got a big hit against the left-handed pitcher yesterday, something that he's kind of struggled with. So when these guys are swinging the bats well, uh, they're, they're tough to beat. And what was great is that they really did get solid pitching on Saturday and Sunday to complement what they were doing with the bats. And can that continue? I don't know. Um, but, I, I mean, I think what you saw offensively from this team is what – when they do get into postseason play, when they do get into the SEC tournament, why they could be so dangerous, and you're not going to really want to face them because they can go out there and outscore you. They can they they have a lineup that is capable of putting up double digit runs. Is it to be expected every game? No, uh, but uh, they certainly have the potential to be a team that is scoring six, seven, eight, nine runs uh, fairly regularly anyways. And uh, again, that's certainly what they displayed on Saturday and Sunday. We're talking with Jeff Palermo, sports director and news director for the Louisiana Radio Network. He's also co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, as great as the hitting was, the the pitchers are still giving up significant runs here. And any concerns – if LSU has enough pitching, Jeff, when it's going to matter most for the SEC tournament and for an NCAA regional? Well, they certainly don't have the Friday night ace. And I think Friday nights are going to be a struggle for this team. Uh, We've kind of seen it here now when LSU really runs into terrific pitching. uh, they're, They're going to potentially struggle against those teams. But I don't know. I, the, the way I look at it is that the fact that after you know a, a really bad performance on Friday, they gave up seven runs. For them to get a, a, a good start 
finally from Mikhail Hilliard kind of set the tone for them Saturday. I thought that was significant. And then, um, you know, Paul Gervais looked good out of the bullpen. Trent Vittmeyer has been really consistent for them out of the bullpen. And then yesterday, to see what they were able to get uh, out of the guys that uh, they threw yesterday, I, I thought was a, was a bright spot. Um, you know, Samuel Dutton was, was really good yesterday. Uh, you know, his first start as a freshman and Grant Taylor following him up six strikeouts in five and a third innings. So I think uh, what you were hoping for as this season would go along was to see certain guys emerge and uh, become really solid pitchers. And I don't know, maybe you saw the first step of it yesterday. Again, it's just one game. It's just two games when you, when you combine Friday and Saturday, or excuse me, Saturday and Sunday, but um, I thought it was a, a step in the positive direction, but yes, this is not going, this is still going to be a team to me that is going to give up their fair share of runs, but they got the bats that can, that can possibly um, overcome that. Uh, the, the key for them, I, I think is the, the play better in the field. And uh, they, they did, they look better uh, on Saturday and Sunday. Um, we'll see if that continues as well. That way they're just not giving up free runs. Um, you know, let, let the other teams earn it. Uh, but, yeah, this is still a pitching staff that's uh, a work in progress, but it certainly looked a lot better than it did a weekend ago uh, when they when they gave up, you know, basically uh, six – they gave up six runs and at least six runs in, in all three games against Texas A&M. So, you know, they gave up six runs in the last two games. So, certainly a step in the right direction. Definitely a step in the right direction. And, once again, it's still early in conference play. They'll have the midweek game against ULM on Tuesday at the box, and then they'll welcome in uh, the Auburn Tigers slash War Eagles slash Plainsman uh, slash they're confused about their mascot. Uh, this coming weekend what do you need to see look it's great that they won the series their first series win of the season what do you need to see from them this week during the midweek game and against Auburn this coming weekend well you don't want to see a drop off in intensity because I thought they brought it on Saturday and Sunday again after kind of a lackluster performance a sleepy performance on Friday night uh, there was certainly a hangover effect, I think, from the extra inning loss to Louisiana Tech, and it, it carried over to that first game against Florida on Friday. And then they, they flipped the switch. Something, you know, Jay Johnson said something that got them charged up. So you want to you want to see that continue, and uh, you want to see them uh, continue to, to to play with that kind of intensity because that's what it's going to take. Because they're not a perfect team. They they, they are not. Uh, a team that um, is going to have dominant pitching every night. Uh, they, they've obviously had some issues in the field, uh, and they've had some games where you know, the, the bats haven't shown up, which is to be expected. So they, they have to be on point and focused uh, every week. Now they're getting ready to take on an Auburn team who just took two out of three against Texas A&M. They went to College Station and, and took two out of three from the Aggies. So, and uh, this is a, an Auburn team that has shown the ability to score a lot of runs as well. They put up 19 runs against Ole Miss in their first uh, SEC weekend, and then they scored 13 yesterday against Texas A&M. So um, might be another big uh, offensive uh, weekend uh, this weekend at the box in that three-game series 
begins on Thursday night in Baton Rouge. Let's talk about men's basketball. They hired their guy. He's ready to go. He's a winner. He's got a clean resume. And as expected, there's been multiple defections, not only on the recruiting trail, but we find out over the weekend or late last weekend over the weekend that the uh, starting backcourt has entered the transfer portal. And not surprising, Eason has declared for the NBA draft. What kind of challenges is the new guy going to be facing here, Jeff, realistically, especially with the thought of there's going to be sanctions and there's going to be punishment on the horizon? How much of a challenge is it going to be for the next few years for LSU? I think it's, well, I think the next couple of years, it's just going to be really a, a big challenge. I, I mean, again, it all goes back to what kind of punishment are we looking at here? We, you know, how much of a, a reduction in scholarships uh, available will they be facing? The, are we looking at a postseason ban? Um, you know, if they are, if we are for next season, I, you know, you're, you're going to just, you're real. I don't know what kind of roster he's going to be able to put together, but he's going to be given time. And that when they do get on the other side of this thing with the transfer portal, it's no, it, it, to kind of steal what, you know, Will Wade had said, it's now with the transfer portal, it's not, you don't really build programs anymore. You put teams together. So, I think the next couple seasons are going to be rough. Uh, there's no doubt about it, but he's been given the time based on the length of his contract and stipulations in the contract that would give him extra years. He's going to have time to uh, deal with the mess that's been left with him and see if he can't um, bring a consistent winner to LSU like uh, Will Wade did for his time here in Tigerland. Jeff, Appreciate you, Tom. As always, tell the people quickly what you got on tap for Tiger Rag Radio this week, bud. Well, uh, we'll be uh, looking back at the big weekend for LSU baseball. Uh, got to talk a lot of football here. You know, Miles Brennan speaking yesterday, or I guess Saturday. A uh, couple practices in, and then obviously uh, basketball as well. We'll uh, find out a little bit more of uh, as far as what's going on there. Maybe uh, some news as far as who's going to be added to the staff and, and whatnot. So, uh, a lot to talk about at this time of the year. Jeff, appreciate your time as always, brother. We'll talk to you next week, bud. All right. Thanks, Raymond. It's Jeff Palermo, sports and news director for the Louisiana Radio Network, also co-host of Tiger Rag Radio, dropping all the knowledge about LSU for us. We got to take a time out. Update the poll question of the day. Wrap up hour number two. That's next right here. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. The Hangout Music Festival is returning this summer to Gulf Shores in the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has your tickets to this epic weekend of music. You can score VIP passes by becoming a member of the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Don't miss the return of Hangout Music Fest featuring Post Malone, Halsey, Megan the The Stallion, and Kevin Foote's favorite artist currently right now, the Doja Cat. That's Hangout Music Fest, May 20th to May 22nd in lovely Gulf Shores, Alabama. And you can score VIP passes from the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Just go sign up for our rewards club 
at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Let's check in on our poll question of the day. It's about the Oscars last night. Will Smith got upset and got on stage and slapped Chris Rock in the face. Was the slap at the Oscars real or was it staged? Right now, Chris and Will is trending on Twitter, by the way. 46% of you say real. 33% say, I don't care. (laughs) 21% of you say staged. I love y'all. Y'all so honest. Love every single one of y'all out there. Y'all are so honest. Hart on Twitter says, apparently Chris Rock forgot why Will was, quote, moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. (laughs) Oh, man. I love it. Just love it. David's commented. You let other men sleep with your wife, but you draw the line at a lame joke. Not wrong. (laughs) Not wrong. Not wrong about the other thing and not wrong about the joke being lame. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, we'll kick it off with Jay Walker, voice of the Raging Cajuns. He's coming up next right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. number three has arrived here in rp3 and company good start to today's show good start to the week as well we've covered a lot of ground this morning we've talked final four we've talked lsu baseball getting back on track we've talked the lake charles championship first winner first tournament in the books needed three playoff holes to get there and we've also touched base on Raging Cajuns. Big weekend on the diamond for both the baseball and softball team as they both got series victories and looked good while doing it. To talk more about those Cajuns is our next guest. He's the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns. It's time for us to talk to Jay Walker. Listen up, UL fans. It's time to talk all things Raging Cajuns with the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker. Here is Colin Cajuns on RP3 and Company. Jay, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I am um, upright. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jay, I love you, man. I love you. All right, bud. Did the baseball team turn a corner this weekend taking down arch-rival South Alabama? Well, you know, they turned a corner. I don't know if they turned the corner. Um, 
because I, you know, this team, in order, I think, to turn the corner, has to start getting some success on the road. Um, but they turned a corner because they won a series against a very, very good baseball team. Um, South Alabama, I think, is the best team in the Sun Belt, with all due respect to Texas State and the team the Cajuns are playing this weekend. Um, because they've got veteran pitching. You got three, you had three guys out there who have combined for almost 700 innings in their career. Um, and a, a team that plays great defense and a team that swings the bat well. And the Cajuns went out and really competed in all three games. You know, Boswell got them on Saturday. That's, uh, that's no disgrace because Boswell's pretty good. Um, but, but the Cajuns went out and competed and found ways to win two out of the three and, and, and won them relatively late. You know, you had the, the come from behind win in 11 innings on Friday. And, you know, South Alabama had tied the game, I think, in the, in the sixth inning um, on, uh, on Sunday. And, and then the Cajuns broke the tie and then broke it open. It's just a really good series win. It's the the best series win that they've had. I think it's better than the Irvine series because um, I think South Alabama is that good, right? I agree with you, Jay. I, it, the South Al is South Al is is really good. We're we're talking a, a really good program. You know, it, it does feel like you know we've been waiting for this team to be consistent. And even Deg said after the game yesterday. You know, uh, are they there yet? And, and he he said no, right? He said they still have work to do. They still have plenty of things left to do. What are some of those things that you still see from this team that need to happen moving forward to get them above 500 overall and in conference play and to be a legit contender? Well, I, I think the pitching needs to be more consistent. Now, I think the reason they won the series over the weekend is because the pitching was pretty consistent. You know, I think overall you got some good performances um, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We need to see that on a regular basis. Um, you know, nobody's perfect, and somebody might have a uh, a bad outing here and there. But you know, for for the most part, you got to be consistent on the bump. And they were over the weekend, and I think that's why they were able to win the series. Um, you know, that I think is the biggest thing. And, and like I said, you got to be able to take what you had this weekend. You have to be able to take it on the road and have success there. Winning on the road's not easy. Winning on the road's hard. Um, but the, the Cajuns have shown they can be good competition. Now they have to show they can do it away from Russo Park. And that is going to, to, to be a challenge for them. Do you believe – that Deggs, you know, he's tinkered around with this lineup. He's tinkered around with the defense. Do you think he, he's done with that? Do you think that this team is kind of solidified in the roles that they're going to be uh, having? Yeah, I think so. And and honestly, I think some of that tinkering had to do with not having Max Marshak. Mm, that's fair, um, yeah. You know, I, it really forced them to do a few things that maybe they didn't want to do uh, but felt like they had to do. But we saw this thing start to come together last week, lineup-wise, and we were just waiting for Marshak to come back. So I think you know you you may see a guy go from the six hole to the five hole and from the you know the four hole to the six hole. But I think I think he's got the guys. You know I think he knows who the guys are that are going to be in the lineup just about every day. Now um, I think the one thing that uh, the one more change that's coming is I think that um, Warner Rinconis 
when when, when he comes back, um, you know, he's going to have a chance to uh, to really lock down that second base job. You know, Lede is playing there right now, and Bobby had a good day yesterday, had a couple of hits. Um, but Rinconis is so steady defensively, and and he sits safely in every conference game so far. So um, he's probably going to be out another week or so. And when he comes back, I think he solidifies things at second base, and then I think you basically have your lineup. We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Good series win and one that they needed especially the way they'd been playing the last few weeks and the way things had been going down jay and you mentioned you, you don't think it is the turning point but it is a turning point part of that more of it being more of a turning point is going to be this week with back-to-back road games against teams they should beat but being on the road has been an issue for them they take on southeastern tuesday and uno on wednesday uh, is that what you're wanting to see is them play complete, clean baseball back-to-back nights on the road? Well, that would be nice. You know, I'm more concerned with them getting things done on the road when in, on the weekend um, because the road is going to beckon very soon. Uh, and I think that's where, you know, that's where you're going to make it. That's where you're going to make it potatoes. Um, you know, going out this week, yeah. You know, I mean, look, you want to win every game. Um, Southeastern... They had a shocker over the weekend because Nichols went to Hammond and swept them. Yeah. Um, and nobody saw that coming. So I don't know what their issues are right now um, and and don't know a whole lot about New Orleans. They lost two out of three to Northwestern State, the team that the Cajuns beaten twice. But, you know, I don't know how much that means. Um, and, and then you got another huge series this weekend because, you know, the, one of the league leaders is coming to town for three. So this series with Georgia Southern this weekend is really going to be big. Um, and if the Cajuns win that series, the conference schedule lightens up a little bit after that. Um, you know, to open up with Troy, South Alabama, Georgia Southern, that's pretty rugged. Um, you know, I think ULM has improved a lot. Um, you get them at home Easter weekend, and then, of course, you have that trip to Texas State later in the season. But I think this weekend is big. For the Cajuns, as far as the Sun Belt standings are concerned, um, and you know, trying to make a little more hay at home before you have to go on the road. They, yeah, it would go a long way. Obviously, they're midweek games, and I want to see even if they do win these games. I'm kind of like you, Jay. I want to see how they do in conference play, right? Because that's going to be the big test: is being able to to, to win on the road in conference. Once Sunbelt Conference play keeps rolling right along for road contest, let's talk about, you know, the pitching. Where do you think it stands right now, both the starting, the starting rotation, and the back end? Well, I think it's still a work in progress. You know, I still think now that they were all pretty consistent this weekend, now the roles have to be defined. Because you've got guys who have started, who have relieved, who have been in the middle of the relief core, who have been in the back of the bullpen. Um, that needs to get solidified now. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that Matt, over the weekend, started senior, senior, senior. I thought that was interesting. 
Um, and I'm not going to be surprised if he does it again this week. Bo Barnes came in, did a great job on Friday. Tommy Ray looked solid on Saturday coming out of the pen. And, uh, you know, I, I've liked Dylan Toit from the very beginning. And, you know, Chipper Menard came in toward the end of the game and had his third good outing in a row. Um, I still think that they're trying to figure out which guys go in which roles with the pitching staff. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we did see is the roles they were in this past weekend worked really well. Now we've got to show that it can be done again. It's all about consistency, right? You're right, brother. It's all about consistency, and that's why, you know, Deggs didn't go jump over the moon, so to speak, about being South Alabama because it's just a step in the right direction, and it is a long season and still plenty to work on. Jay, let's quickly touch on the softball team. You know, they had dropped a game here and there against Georgia State, Georgia Southern. Some Cajun fans were grumbling a little bit. <clears throat> this past weekend, they absolutely destroyed UTA. Uh, those games didn't last past the sixth inning. Two of them ended in the fifth. Dominant fashion. Kind of expected how they play in Sunbelt. How big is the midweek contest at Texas? Because that's going to give them the final opportunity to kind of notch one of those marquee wins out of conference. Well, first of all, I think the, I think the weekend was big. Okay, and, and let me explain why. The Cajuns have had some issues with good pitchers being a little inconsistent. And, you know, Sam Landry had been out for a while. Well, Kendra Lamb goes out, throws a perfect game, and Landry throws a one-hitter. Um, consistency in pitching, just like we said with the men, is true for the women as well. Now, this team's going to swing the bat and score some runs, okay? They, but they've got to be consistent in the circle. If you remember the first game of the doubleheader against Texas, it was – they were right there. They were going toe-to-toe, and then they had an inning where the pitching blew up and they gave up seven. Um, we've seen that happen a few times this year. And so in the second game, um, you know, it wound up being three to two, and they were right there at the end. If the pitching becomes consistent, especially with Lamb and Landry, and um, I, I think that that, team, this, that team's going to be fine. Um, it would be great to get that win against Texas because it does give you something on your resume. But, you know, look, this is a team that starts as many as six or seven freshmen. There's going to be bumps in the road, and we've seen that, that there are bumps in the road. Cajun softball fans aren't used to bumps in the road because they're not used to youth. You know, that they've had a veteran team ever since Jerry Glasgow got there. And – so they're seeing something that they're not used to and they don't like it, but they got to, they got to understand. And I've said this on your show before, they got to understand youth will be served, but sometimes it's as the main course and it's, it just is what it is. And I think for anybody to suggest that this team at the beginning of this, to sit there and expect that you're, going to run through conference play that you're going to go out and beat a couple of big boys. And, and that, you know, that you're going to sit there and be a solid number two seed in a regional. I really think that that's, that was unreasonable for this particular team because they're so young. 
they're going to be fine. And, I, and I'll tell you, I think the future is really bright because I love the freshmen that the Cajuns have. But, you know, let's be realistic here. It's a very, very young team, and they're going to have bad days. It happens. We just have to, we just have to deal with it, support them, help get them through it, and then go on to the following weekend. Get you out of here with one more, bud. Uh, Dr. Brian Maggard made the announcement that he was bringing back Bob Marlin, and right now, as it stands, it seems like the majority of the guys are staying put. They're not leaving, and it seems like we're going to have a pretty good nucleus of players coming back for next season as Bob is going to be allowed to come back for his 13th season. I know how you feel about Coach Marlin and about how the program is. I know you feel like this is the right move. What do you think the expectations are now that Bob is going to be able to come back? And it looks like, it appears, that a good amount of the core of this year's team is going to be coming back as well. Well, you know, I think they showed in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament how good they can be. And we saw, especially the two Lafayette boys, okay, Greg Williams and Jalen Dalcourt, we really saw them elevate their game down the stretch and they looked awfully comfortable on the basketball court. Finally, I, I think that um, expectations are going to be high. But you know what? Expectations are always high. Um, and nobody's got bigger expectations than Coach Marlin does. Um, you know, you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that he's coming back um, because there are, there are things that don't show up on the court that fans don't really care about but administrators do. You know, when you bring good kids into your program, when you insist that they go to class, when you have 13 out of the last 14 semesters setting new records in the classroom, when you've got guys who are walking across the stage to get their degree and become a success in life, fans don't care about that. Administrators do. And I think it's one of the reasons why Coach Marlin will be coaching next year, because if it's going to be his last year, he's got a chance to go out on his terms. And I think he earned that not only with the two championships that he has, because I have two rings so I, and I was able to count the two, not only with the two championships that he has, but because of the other things he's done. When was the last time you picked up a newspaper and saw one of Bob Marlin's kids getting in trouble? I'll hang up and listen. Um, it's, I think that more than anything else, he's earned the opportunity. If this is going to be the end of it, he's earned the opportunity to go out on his terms. Jay, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your week of calls and we'll talk to you next Monday, bud. I'll look forward to it. Thanks for having me, Ray. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns joining us, talking all things Cajuns. We got to take a timeout. But before we do, reminder, the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity, the chance, if you will, to score excellent prizes like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. That's right. A $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. We want to help you take your lady out for some delicious Gulf seafood. But you can only win that $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House by becoming a member of our clubhouse. So go sign up today. 
Visit 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com and sign up today. It's free to do so. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. March 28, 1999. David Duvall wins the PGA Players Championship at TPC Sawgrass by two strokes over Scott Gump. Duvall's father, Bob, wins the Senior Tour's Emerald Coast Classic on the very same day. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. In about seven minutes from right now, we're going to have James R. Walker, best-selling author. His latest is Red Barber, The Life and Legacy of a Broadcasting Legend, which he wrote with Judith Hiltner. He's going to join us to talk all about the book and about that broadcasting legend. That's going to be a treat. That's coming up in about seven minutes from right now. But while we have a few minutes here in our final hour of RP3 and Company, let's talk a little McNeese football. New man in charge, Coach Golf. Doing things a little bit differently. They're going through the process there in Lake Charles. They're going to get back to some sort of normalcy, right? Frank Wilson's no longer there. He's now at LSU. And golf comes to town, and he's trying to rebuild the program the way he wants it to be ran, right? They held a scrimmage on Saturday because they're in the midst of spring football. Reminder, just in a few weeks, they're going to host their spring game the same day that UL will. Do you believe that's going to be April 9th? So that'll be happening. And Coach Golf is just in the midst of trying to figure out who's going to be able to step up because they do they did lose some guys. Cody Orgeron graduated, and they had other guys. Andre Sam, for example, he transferred out. He's playing at Marshall. Uh, some other guys went on their other way. Isaiah Chambers, their All-American pass rusher, he's trying to make it to the NFL. So, new faces, new players, who's going to step up in a big way for this team? And they've been running multiple quarterbacks out there. And that's been the big kind of focal point of what's going on with the Cowboys during this spring. And... This is what he had to say about how the reads were for the quarterbacks that took the field Saturday there for the scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, I, I did see some progress today in that area. Uh, early on, those first, whatever, four or five drives, no, I did not like our reads, and I did not like some of our ball placement. Um, but we did end, end the scrimmage, you know, on a high note. They made some good throws. They saw some things downfield. You know, I think right now all the guys at that position, they got to just relax. And I get it. I'm on them. Coach Ely's on them. The pressure, they want to be the starter. There's a bunch of guys getting reps. Uh, but they just got to relax and play ball. And that's been our message to them this week. Say, go out there. I don't care if I rip your tail or a coach does. Are you making a mistake? Go have fun playing the game. And, and if practice is hard for you right now, I promise you game day is 10 times harder. And that's on, from coming from me and our opponents. So uh, there's problems. 
look, it, it's a wide open competition. They got some guys that have transferred in. They've signed some guys, but it, this is not a knock on Cody Orgeron because good kid, gutty player. But he was the type of guy, a type of quarterback, rather, that was a little limited in what he could do. He was a great story, right? Walk on, turn scholarship player. He he only walked on to McNeese, so he, his brother, because his brother was already there, so he could play with his brother, and then his brother has concussion issues, has to give up football, and he stays, and he stays through the Hurricanes, and he stays with the team when everyone transferred out. It was a great story, great leadership from Cody. But they needed a more dynamic playmaker at that position. And if McNeese is going to get back to the level that they need to be at or where they want to be at, then that has to happen. And that's why this competition is so important during the spring season for Coach Golf in his first year at the helm. He also discussed the timing. Uh, timing seemed to be an issue with the quarterbacks, and he also elaborated how that impacted their performance during the scrimmage. There are some. You saw a couple of the touchdown throws at the end. Um, you know, the quarterback threw both those balls on time, and you have to. Uh, again, you saw some sacks where if we'd have let go of the ball on time, you know, we wouldn't have taken that sack. Uh, I do think we threw one touchdown pass that arguably might have been a sack. I'll see that tight shot and see if it was a sack or not. Um, but timing's everything. Um, you know, we have a lot of plays that we're throwing to a location, not necessarily a man. So you, you heard it right there. We're thrown to a location on a man. So that means those quarterbacks are going to have to be smart and they're going to have to know how to anticipate their throws because golf wants to run an offense where it's all about timing. Timing is the most important thing there. Uh, he was also asked, what about the tempo? Are they going to keep that kind of fast tempo up when they're calling plays? We will, we've had some tempo periods where we're both, both sides are calling plays as fast as we can. Um, I, I don't know if we'll come out here necessarily in a scrimmage and try to take advantage of playing that fast against our defense. Uh, and, and quite frankly, I don't know offensively if, if they're ready for it either. You know, So I don't know. We, we might, but uh, no, no guarantee in that. Once again, multiple guys are out there trying to earn the quarterback job. And, man, when you have – look – it's a good problem to have on one hand because you have a bunch of different guys and they're competing with one another and they're making each other better and iron sharpens iron kind of thing. But the other problem is, is that you have so many guys out there and there's only so many reps that can go around. And you, the danger that you have there is if you continue to have that going on, not only through spring, but through fall camp, and you don't have a clear-cut guy as your number one or even clear-cut number two. We saw how much this hurt at the pro level, Jameis Winston last year, because he had to split reps with Taysom Hill, right? It, it does matter. It does make a difference. And Coach Golf was asked, you know, will they continue to run all of their quarterbacks before the opener in the fall? No, we'll probably change that a little bit. You know, so we're going to grade today's plays like a game. Um, and then those who grade it out higher will slowly start to get more and more reps than the others. We have to. we got to make that tough decision at some point. So, so if you're a McNeese fan, that's what you want to hear. You're going to have to make a decision here during at the end of spring. Once the spring practice season is over, you got to have a guy that's your number one and a guy that's your number two. And, and then you can work with the other guys during fall camp, and you can continue even having a competition, so to speak, during that, right? You can have it. You can have just two guys, and they battle out during fall camp. But golf is a smart enough coach to realize 
they got to make a decision there. They got to figure that out and figure it out sooner than later on who's going to start taking the majority of reps under center. We got to take a timeout. When we return, James R. Walker will join us. He's the co-author of Red Barber, The Life and Legacy of a Broadcasting Legend. We're going to talk about that coming up next. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Here in the state of Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility pipelines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes there's multiple lines in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you have hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, it could be privacy or chain link, pool, maybe some minor landscaping around the perimeter of your home, it really doesn't matter because you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 811 and the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles remind you, call 811 and know it's below before you dig. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Get your comments in on Facebook and Twitter. We will finalize that right before we sign off today on this edition of RP3 and Company. But right now, we're going to close out today's show by bringing on a well-regarded, respected author. Yeah, that's right. We're about to class up the joint is what we're going to do. He's written a book, co-author of a book. Got it right here in my hands. It's a thick one, too. It's a good one. Red Barber, The Life and Legacy of a Broadcasting Legend. Joining us to talk to the man who was nicknamed the Old Redhead, known for his Major League Baseball broadcast for the Brooklyn Dodgers, New York Yankees, and Cincinnati Reds for decades upon decades, is author James R. Walker. James, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are things down there? Things are going tremendous. Uh, we're all excited because uh, we actually have Major League Baseball. That's going to be coming up. We didn't get to lose the season after all, after it looked yeah. a little uh, hit and miss there for a while, brother. So uh, let me start because Red is obviously a fascinating figure and a broadcasting legend. Uh, walk me through. What was the genesis of getting together with Judith to write this book? 
Well, it actually started at our thrift shop across the street, if you can believe this. We uh, we picked up a book. We retired fairly recently, and we're looking for a project that we could work on. We've both done research and done a little biographical writing in the past. And one of the things we found out by looking at the retirement book is that we actually both had an interest in writing a biography. And so um, we were a married couple, but we had never written anything together. So um, uh, I knew about Red Barber's archives at the University of Florida and knew that nobody had really used them to write a definitive biography of them. And I thought that was an opportunity that was too good to let pass. And, of course, you know, in addition of you serving as a professor there at St. Xavier University for all those years, you've written several books, as you mentioned yourself, Crack of the Bat, A History of Baseball on the Radio, and, of course, Centerfield Shot, A History of Baseball on Television. When you approach a project like this, and you know it's going to be a massive one, you're going to dive into research, you're going to dive into archives, letters, and everything like that, how much time do you allow yourself to take on a project like this? Um, you know, if I'm working, when I was working full-time, uh, I had to really work that in around my other schedule, and so summers became the key time to do it. And so that project might evolve over a couple, three years. Um, in this project, we had the luxury of both being retired, and so there where we could devote ourselves to it. And we also could take a lot more time with the research um, and really uh, to do a, 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 we think, a and, uh, so it really took us about four years, and the actual writing took about a year. Um, that was the shortest part of the whole thing. But uh, it involves some travel to Florida on several occasions, look at the archive, uh, visited Red's hometown in Columbus, Mississippi, um, his area of North Carolina where his uh, father's family is from. So it involved a little bit of travel, Cooperstown, of course, for the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And uh, it took a little while to do this one. Let me ask you about Red, because it was 1978, he and Mel Allen, another legend, were the first winners of the Ford Frick Award from the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, for, the, for the younger listeners and maybe the people that never got to hear any of Red's calls or Mel's calls, for that matter, how much of an impact did they have on generations, plural, of announcers? Well, I think it was so appropriate that they were uh, both inducted uh, in that very first year that the award was offered and that both of them went in because they were definitive broadcasters of their era. Of course, Mel Allen was the voice of the Yankees. Mel Allen was uh, enthusiasm uh, personified. He was what we might think of as a homer, but certainly one that was beloved by his uh, fans of the Yankees. Uh, Red was a different approach. Red was very the master wordsmith, uh, an incredible incredible uh, gift for painting word pictures, uh, a consummate professional, really believed in the professionalization of broadcasting, and just some of the people that read influenced their careers, who later on, many of them became Ford Frick Award winners. Vin Scully is his most famous protege. Uh, he really uh, uh, raised... Uh, Vince Finn from the, the cradle, and uh, Vin uh, credits him uh, at every chance uh, for uh, giving him the, those gifts. Ernie Harwell worked with him early in his career. Jerry Coleman, uh, Bob Costas read uh, Red's book, The Broadcasters, uh, when he was in high school. John Miller read his book, um, and he also mentored Phil Rizzuto. So these are just some of the people he influenced um, in, uh, and who are all and many of them in the Hall of Fame. I think all of them are in the Hall of Fame, as a matter of fact. 
We're talking with James R. Walker, co-author of the book Red Barber, The Life and Legacy of a Broadcasting Legend. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Uh, something else that you and Judith tackle in the book is how he was able to kind of get past the cultural racism of his youth, what he was around, what he experienced, what he saw, and became very much a champion of breaking the color barrier and a champion of Jackie Robinson, so much so that Robinson and African-American press members honored him and appreciated his coverage of Jackie. Yeah, I, it, it worked out to be a happy medium, uh, meeting of the minds. Um, you know, Red uh, came uh, from uh, the Old South. Uh, he grew up in a time of Jim Crow. Uh, he uh, was socialized into that. He certainly respected African Americans, as did his family. But there was a kind of a line in those days. And when uh, Branch Rickey told him that he was going to bring an African-American to the major leagues, initially Red was concerned. He wasn't sure he would be able to handle it. Uh, he went home and he told his wife that he might have to leave his uh, treasure job with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, but she said, hmm, maybe you just ought to have a, a martini and sleep on this. And by the next morning, he realized that he had a pretty good job and he shouldn't let whatever his uh, point of view about race get in the way. Well, gradually he changed entirely. And later in his life, he credited Jackie Robinson with doing much more for him help change his attitudes uh, than he ever did for, for Robinson. But he basically treated Robinson as another player. Um, he did not talk much about race, which was not uncommon at the time. The New York press didn't even mention it that much at the time Robinson premiered. Um, and by doing that, he was able to focus on Robinson, the player. And Robinson was a fantastic player, an exciting player. And he was able to simply report, which is what he wanted to do. Robinson really appreciated that. And so did the African-American press. Something that he viewed as one of his greatest accomplishments and the thing that he was the most proud of and you guys touch on in the book as well is, you know, he felt media could do uh, do more to help society. And, the you know, he was immensely proud of the work that he did with Red Cross, with blood drives during World War II, as well as U.S. saving bonds sales. Why was he so passionate why was that the thing that he, you know, was so proud of? Well, I just think that he he always believed, and he Red was a radio man. He came from the radio generation. It was a miracle to him, radio was. And to see the response he got to the blood drives request, which he made basically every game during the Second World War, uh, and to see the uh, phones uh, uh, light up and to see uh, to get messages saying we can't take any more volunteers, he could see the power that his broadcast could have to do good. And then he uh, rose in management, and he had a management side to him. Uh, he actually was an executive at CBS while he was doing baseball, and that was in a whole side of his career. And so he really had good organizational skills in addition to his great ability as a performer. Uh, and he could see the good that was coming. And with the things like bond drives and blood drives, you can see the actual benefit uh, in numbers uh, right before you. And so it was really his proudest achievement, and he really speaks to that in uh, some of his own writing. We're talking with author James R. Walker. He's the co-author of Red Barber, The Life and Legacy of a Broadcasting Legend. We're talking about it here on RP3 and Company. You know, for for me, I'm in uh, soon to be in my mid 40s, so I know Red. I was exposed to Red 
mainly from his books, magazine articles, and his work with NPR in the 70s and the 80s. Even after he was dismissed from the Yankees, he still became this, you know, extremely busy and very prominent figure, even though he wasn't doing play-by-play anymore. Absolutely. He uh, refashioned himself as a writer. He always respected uh, baseball writers, and uh, he was a very literate person, very well-read person. Uh, He only had two years of college, but he got honorary doctorates, and he had an incredible library, which he actually gave to the University of Florida. But he loved writing, and he loved being a writer, so he refashioned himself as a writer, which he found to be very difficult work. Um, One of the great things about radio is you do it, and it's done, and you move on. Uh, With writing, you never know when you're done, and uh, that that plagued him a little bit at first. But he was a prolific author. Uh, People just don't realize how much he wrote. Um, he wrote columns, weekly columns, for uh, two major newspapers. Uh, he wrote magazine articles, really starting in the 1930s uh, and, and continuing through the rest of his life. Um, he wrote six books, uh, and we figure approximately about 10,000, not 10,000, excuse me, about 1,000 uh, newspaper and magazine articles in total, along with six books. Um, and then uh, in his 70s, um, he had a true um, renaissance. Uh, National Public Radio discovered him, discovered uh, the charm and the, and the wit and the wisdom of somebody uh, who was raised in that radio generation. And every uh, Friday, he did a program um, called uh, Fridays with Red, a four-minute segment on a morning edition with Bob Edwards. And it became uh, NPR's uh, most popular uh, program segment. And Red really became a national celebrity once again in his 70s. Uh, That's something most of us could wish uh, to happen at the end of our lives. i got to ask you one more before I have to take uh, a timeout, James, and that's about the catbird seat. That's not something, right, the, the, the story is it was mentioned, and he was mentioned in a story called The Catbird Seat about baseball, and he didn't start using that phrase until after he read the story. Is that correct? Um, not to my knowledge. Uh, he, the story he says, uh, and he began using it before that the story, in fact, the story picked up and, and used the phrase because one of the characters of the story is a James Thurber story. Correct. Um, used a lot of Red Barber's barbarisms, including Catbird's Seat, and so that's how it got the title. But Red actually won it in a poker game. He, uh, That's what he says, anyway. He um, he uh, was trying to, to bluff somebody uh, in a poker game, and the guy had the cards, and Red, of course, lost the pot. And at the end of the, uh, the pot, uh, the guy said, I was in the Catbird's Seat the entire time and red feels that he bought the catbird seat as his slogan and it and it certainly became the phrase associated with him through the rest oh, of wow. his life oh wow wow that's a that's a great story james uh tremendous i haven't uh, haven't finished the book but so far i love everything that i've read about it congratulations on uh this uh great book red barber the life and legacy of a broadcasting legend tell the people how they can buy a copy of it Well, you can get it through any major online seller. Uh, That would be the place to go. We're obviously hoping for some circulation in bookstores as well. But for a fast uh, purchase, you can go to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, really any online seller. Or you can go directly to the University of Nebraska Press. And if you check with them, I think you can get a uh, pretty substantial discount uh, by going directly to the University of Nebraska Press. So that's that's what I do because I like to save money. (laughs) James. 
appreciate your time. Thank you so much, brother, and best of luck with the book, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for calling. It was a delight uh, to talk to you. That's James R. Walker, co-author of Red Barber, The Life and Legacy of a Broadcasting Legend. I got it right here if you're checking us out on the simulcast. It's a good book. If you love broadcasting, you like broadcasting history, this is one of the icons. Highly influential man. Need to go check that out. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show. Get you set up for footnotes with Kevin Foote. That's all next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Poll question of the day. Final results. Let's give them to you, shall we? Obviously, the water cooler moment everyone's talking about is Will Smith slapping Chris Rock on stage during the Oscar telecast last night. We asked you, was Will Smith's slap at the Oscars real or staged? 47% of you say real. 33% say, I don't care. And 20% say staged. (laughs) Ton on Twitter says, don't let this stuff distract you from the Lakers blowing a huge lead last night and the fact that today is 328. Oh, Oh. That was the biggest win ever. Oh, 328 <laughs> never dies. It will never, it will never die. 28-3 will never, never die. Oh, man. Never, ever, ever. And that's what I'm here for. Thank you to all who voted on the poll question today. A lot of you had opinions, and we appreciate all the comments. Good job. On both Facebook and Twitter. Also want to take a moment to thank our guest, Jeff Palermo, our buddy from Tiger Rag Radio and Sports director for the Louisiana Radio Network, talking all things LSU. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns. We talked the Vermilion and White. And, of course, James R. Walker, author of the new book on Red Barber. For the intern extraordinaire, Becca. She's in the house. Shout out to her. The producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names. I'm Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.